these days. I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody who mm-hmm. didn't struggle with or struggles with or died of fentanyl or opioids. So that's more like the heart of the story, whereas the trappings of the story, the Thrillville part is uh, is this the texture, the childhood nostalgia. But really, we're also getting at about the state of Oregon's opioid crisis. Welcome to the True Fiction Project, a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome back to the True Fiction Project. I am your host, Renita Hora. And for listeners who are regulars, you know how much I thrive on fiction. All sorts of fiction, novels, plays, film, music, and certainly short stories, which on some level or the other are the very basis for these biggest stories that we delve into. So I am very pleased to introduce our guest today. He is Taylor Cook-Cook, and he is the writer of a short story collection called Thrillville, USA. Hi, Taylor. Welcome to the True Fiction Project. Oh, hi, Renita. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. I am thrilled to have you on the show. You have done so much good work supported by Oregon Literary Arts, Breadloaf Writers Conference. Your work has been in the Paris Review, Glimmer Train, Plowshares, Iowa Review. I mean, these are all very, very solid quality publications that writers would die to have their work in. So congratulations, first off. Uh, Thanks, Renita. Thank you. (laughs) So I must start by asking you just out of Complete curiosity and nothing to do with your writing. Your name, Cook Cook, which I have been trying to pronounce <laughs> and have been getting it wrong. Where is that from? What's the origin? I, you know, I'm so curious. Right. Well, and you're not the only one who gets it wrong. If you get it right, I know it's because you're Dutch, which is where the name's from, and you must speak a little. Oh. Although they say it, they say it with a little bit of uh, an inflection. They say Cook Cook. Uh, we've Americanized it a bit. Ah, but it's Dutch. It's a hard one to guess at. Definitely. So Thrillville, USA, I am really enchanted by the title, Thrillville. But based on the brief chat that we had before we started recording, you said that maybe Thrillville, the name, is not pure fiction. It was actually a place. Tell us about that. It's true. Well, Thrillville, USA used to be this little roadside amusement park outside of Turner, Oregon, which is just near Salem, which is our state capital. And there's a lot of details that I did live straight from the place. It it was scary. It was a bit of a death trap and we loved it. By we, I mean my brothers. My extended family lives in Eugene. We grew up in Portland. So whenever we saw family, Salem's about halfway, we might stop and hit the roller coasters. The thrills, though, were not really from the rides as they were intended. It's because it felt so dangerous to us. They shook They bucked in ways that didn't seem very intentional. 
And there's all sorts of rumors, just like in the story, the titular story, all sorts mm. of rumors about fatalities, grievous bodily harm. Although I don't think any of that's true. It just had sort of a scary feel about it. I think any sort of worn out roadside amusement park always looks kind of spooky with their, with their weird knockoff mascots and the chipped paint. So this is very interesting. I had no idea. And I can just picture it now as you describe it. But Tell me why you decided to name this short story collection Thrillville, USA, after, as you say, the titular story, Thrillville, USA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Renina, I wanted to trick people into thinking the book would be exciting, you know, um, <laughs> partly. I, I did like the title. And it's funny naming short story collections. And it's, it's hard to even talk about them sometimes because... They're a little bit about this. They're a little bit about that. And it's hard to find a title that really encompasses the whole book in a neat way. So I think my instinct was just to pick my favorite title story in the book and then use that for the whole book. But I I guess I should also say that the story, the characters in the story, Thrillville, do reappear again later in the book in separate stories. And so in that way, the story itself, too, is more central to the book it takes up more more space in the book anyway um, so what do you, so what do that, you mean by that uh, if i can just interject sure when you say the stories in thrillville reappear later in the book what do you mean by right that? so in the story thrillville we have a narrator named cooper and that's the first story in the book thrillville the last mm-hmm. story in the book also features that same character although he's no longer the narrator um it's a story about when his sister drives him to rehab. <laughs> and we hear some of the old familiar names that come up in this story come up again in that that last book. I mean, that last story in the book. So otherwise, characters don't really reappear from the other stories, although we will revisit some familiar places because all of these stories happen in mostly in Oregon. And sometimes they venture into the other neighborhoods of the Pacific Northwest. But this is the more central story to the book. And Tell me behind the inspiration for this particular story. Of course, based on what you've just said, I'm guessing it was Thrillville, the amusement park. Right. Thrillville, the amusement park played a big role in it. Partly it was just returning to that old childhood nostalgia for the for this old death trap that we love. But then I guess there is also the other half of this story that's not just the amusement park. This is also a story about there's really... Sad story about fentanyl in the in the Northwest mm-hmm. these days. Fentanyl, the you know, the opiate mm-hmm. that's such a big the opioid that's such a big problem these days in Oregon and in the rest of the country. I think it's touched most of our lives these days. I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody who mm-hmm. didn't struggle with or struggles with or died of fentanyl or opioids. Mm-hmm. So that's more like the heart of the story, whereas the trappings of the story, the Thrillville part, is uh, is this, the texture, the childhood nostalgia. But really, we're also getting at about the state of Oregon's opioid crisis. Right. So let's dig into that just a little bit. Tell us about sure. how you tackle this subject of uh, Oregon's opioid crisis. Is it prevalent in all of the stories, some of the stories. I know that this is a short story collection, so Mm -hmm. each story is separate and isolated. However, is there an overall arc that connects one to the other? That's a good question. And, you know, again, the short story collections 
are tough in that way because they do vary and wander off. And there isn't always a central thrust that drives straight through the core of the book. But addiction does continue to pop its head up throughout these stories. It's not always opioids. There's other instances of alcoholism, of other sorts of lighter drug use. But I think the opioid question starts here in this first story, but it does get picked back up at the end of the book. And in that way, we sort of uh, bookend the stories here with that on either side. We just encounter a lot of characters throughout this book that are in hard spots. They're coming up short in tough situations. And a lot of times that veers into or is exacerbated by various substance problems. Mm-hmm. So there was a great quote of yours, your quote from the article that was published by the LA Times when you talked about Thrillville, i.e. the amusement park, and you said it had a bunch of janky roller coasters <laughs> and spinning things, and you loved it. We loved it, you and your brothers, I assume, because it felt dangerous. And just now you referred to Thrillville, the amusement park, as that old death trap that we all loved. So I wonder then, was Thrillville and the amusement park and the start of this book and, you know, this story, the titular story, Thrillville, a metaphor for the opioid crisis, in a sense? You know, I wouldn't argue if people would like to say I'm cleverer than I am and read that into it. I think <laughs> that you could make a case for that. Sure. I think, you know, when you start off on these projects, it's not always very calculated. You're going by steel and you're not necessarily pointed at a really articulated metaphor. I think you're you're looking for resonance, though, and that can turn into metaphor later. So I, I think that they do feel to pair together easily enough, at least for me, that we have this this dangerous park, this ominous note, fun, exciting, that sounds a bit like druggies. But there's also, I think, you know, amusement parks are always supposed to be safe places where we can act out our fears of dying and falling. And, you know, you fall, but you don't actually crash on the ground. And then that's undermined, obviously, in Thrillville because that safe space to have the experiments a bit dubious if we're worried about the rides falling apart. And I do think that's a bit how it feels to go off the rails with the opioids here and with other tales of addiction that might crop up in the book where uh, safe and fun and feels dangerous until it is actually very dangerous, which we see those consequences come up too. Absolutely. So you are going to read us an excerpt from that first story. Tell us without any spoilers, a little bit about the excerpt that you're going to read. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm going to read just starting a few pages into the titular story of Thrillville, USA, where our narrator works for this amusement park for a man named Glenn, who's not a very good businessman. I think what's important to know is, is that this is a, it's a failing amusement park. Thrillville USA did fail in real life too. Now it's a mobile home park that's called Hope Valley. And so in the final days of this amusement park, they're trying to set up firework shows to draw in some last minute business to keep the park filled with guests. And this is where the story actually starts to pick up and characters start to make mistakes 
and follow bad instincts. Uh, this isn't really where the opioids throw everything off the rails, but it's clear that Thrillville is going off the rails well before the uh, drugs enter the mix. So did you experience these characters, Glenn, and some of these other characters that will feature in this excerpt? Did you meet them, interact with no, them? No, that's a good question. But no, I think, you know, usually the way that I write my stories is I'll steal various anecdotes and personalities that I've seen elsewhere in my life, been told about in families or friends or weirdos I've met at the bar. And then you cast it all into a different light. You introduce new characters, new dynamics. So Thrillville as a place is real. The characters here are entirely made up, but I've stolen them, many of them from elsewhere in my life. Mm. Um, I shouldn't say too close. They'll make my family and friends think I'm writing about them. I, I, I guess what I mean is that uh, you cobble together little bits of inspiration from many different places and then I they hear turn up you. in some shape or form here. I absolutely hear you, Taylor. And that is what this show is about. It's why it's called The True Fiction Project, which sounds like an oxymoron and that is intentional. So, okay, that's wonderful. Well, I am very much looking forward to hearing the excerpt. Is there anything that you are working on? I know that this is your first published book. What are your plans? Sure. So I'm on contract for a novel now, and I'm just in the very early stages of writing it. And those early stages, it's mostly banging your head on the wall and insulting yourself in the mirror. But it's, I'm getting somewhere, I think. I have some early work on a novel that also takes place in Oregon. And once I finish this, I got to write about somewhere else because I'm getting a little <laughs> tired of it. But without saying too much about it, because I'm superstitious and I have a lot to figure out. Right now, I see it taking place a couple of years or so after the big Cascadia earthquake that we expect to hit the Pacific Northwest, hmm. okay, probably so in little, our lifetimes. A little dystopian, perhaps? A little dystopian, but not a full-on apocalypse novel, a very limited okay. scope apocalypse. But I'm, I, mostly I'm interested in what happens after, what happens with major disasters in this era of COVID and conspiracy beliefs and raging politics. Right. Well, many congratulations for being on contract because, I mean, that is a huge achievement. <laughs> it usually doesn't happen that way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'll be glad about it once I have more to show for it, but it's coming. Good, good. All right. So before we get into the story, tell us where our listeners can find your work, website, social media handles, sure. anything you would like to share. Great. So I have a website that's taylor-cookcook.com, and you can find more about various publications in this book there. And then otherwise, you can find me on social media as Taylor Cookcook. Taylor, thank you so much. Thanks for being a guest today on The True Fiction Project. It has been so great to have you on the show, and I cannot wait to listen to your excerpt. Oh, thank you, Renita. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That was Taylor Cookcook, a writer of short story collection Thrillville, USA. He is now going to read us an excerpt from the first story, the titular story of the collection. And I'm Renita Hora, your host for The True Fiction Project. That first Fireworks Friday, I was turning down the Ripper, the oldest steel coaster in Oregon over such and such a height, or so claimed Glen anyway. By now it was fairly run down and we heard plenty of rumors about it. According to one rumor, the coaster cars beat so violently around the curves that a woman once lost her pregnancy at the first turn. In another version of the story, the unborn baby was actually a young boy who, while riding with his mother in the rearmost car, was flung from the seat at the turn and scattered dead into the parking lot. But if any of that were remotely true, I'd heard about it from Glenn. I removed the pocket trash from the footwells, then wetted a rag with disinfectant and rubbed down the seats, the ass wells, shaped in such an impression as I have never met a living ass to bat. Then the shoulder bars, the buckles, so on, before I called it satisfactory and hit the lights out. I spent the next quarter hour wandering around beneath the coaster with a flashlight looking for dropped wallets and cell phones. If any jewelry turned up, it was the faux plastic stuff. I didn't find anything this night except a flip-flop, which I left floating upturned in the small lychee pond. Denny was sneaking himself between the park where Jen saved him a spot on the yellow lawn and the untenanted gravel lot that lay adjacent to Thrillville. A dozen of high schoolers assembled a bonfire there and ringed their parents' cars round it and laid out on the hoods to watch the firework. Katie was there, hoping Denny would sneak off with her for the finale. I told Glenn those high schoolers were seeing the show for free. Glenn didn't mind. He thought it was a step in the right direction. We'd set floodlights up around the concessions pavilion and with the lights placed down low and angled upward, they had strange shadows dancing around in the dusty evening. Glenn was messing around in the launch zone, which he'd stanchioned off and fixed with handwritten warning signs. Andy, a rail-thin 17-year-old who'd started at Thrillville partway through the previous season, was selling beer on the down-low out of a cooler for $3 apiece. He was drunk early. When he was drunk, he winked a lot and drew a finger gun and clicked his tongue. That little alien dude does a shit human impression, Denny said. I went back through the park to stake my spot for the show and came across a low rustling in the dirt along the backside of the scrambler. I pointed my flashlight at the noise and clicked it on, and in the sudden brightness, two teenagers materialized, groping each other passionately. The guy rose up on an elbow and shielded his eyes. He called out, Whoa, whoa, man, you get out of here. I stood there blinking at them, shining my light in their eyes. The squinting girl giggled in a low tank top and held herself. I saw the bluish color of veins in her pale chest. That killed me for some reason. The guy gathered himself upright, puffing indignantly, and he told the girl to come on, and they darted off into the dark. I hung around, fidgeting for a while, electrified with longing and shame in equal parts. 
Then it occurred to me, it was those two that were behaving badly, wasn't it? That audacious horn dog had scolded me as if I barged into his dorm room, but they were the ones fooling around in my place of business. I decided I'd find them, tell them the score, or maybe just keep an eye on them. I didn't know what I meant to do, but I was already on the move. I had something to live for all of a sudden. Far off in the distance, there were voices speaking in that tone they speak in when a show is about to begin. I'd nearly given up the search when I heard one high, clear note, laughter <laughs> ring out from the magic carpet slide, then vanish beneath the low hum of Thrillville, USA. I switched off my light. The slide was eight lanes wide, yellow fiberglass, and descended to the earth in a series of gentle waves. The underside was all cobwebbed rafters and beams, like the space beneath a set of bleachers. Now and then, Denny got lit and nodded off beneath the slide. He told me he'd once come upon shadowy figures humping each other under there. The trouble now was the lighting. I edged up around the corner of the slide and crouched by a buggy shrub and trained my eye blindly at where the action sounded to be. I felt lightheaded. It sounded like chewing, like they were eating each other alive. Then the first mortar recorded overhead, and the sky exploded with golden light, then green light, red light, blue. One flash at a time, I saw the teenagers pulling at each other's vulnerables. The reports grew in frequency and choked the sky with light and the eggy smell of combustion. I felt the mortar concussions in my chest like kakunk, kakunk, and my heart doing something similar, kakunk, kakunk. The boy spread himself over the girls if he meant to cover her entirely, the way a soldier jumps on a live grenade lobbed into the bunker, like in movies. And then in the fiery light, the girl adjusted herself, turned beneath her lover, and I saw her illuminated. She lay her head in the golden nest of her hair, and her face was the golden baby bird of a face, and it was perfect absolutely. She had one of her pale breasts out, and her boyfriend held on to it for dear life. Of course, I lit up too. Like the lighted statue of a pervert, I saw her, and then she saw me, unmade, each of us into the dark every other second, made back again in the light. She patted her boyfriend in a panic. He's back, she said. Where? he asked, spinning his head. There, she said. That's him. They rose again and ducked out from beneath the slide. Why won't you buzz off, the guy said as they passed, holding hands. The girl didn't even glance up at me as she went, and before I could apologize, they were gone. I sat slumped beneath the booming sky and felt flat-out rotten about myself. Then the show ended, and everyone went home. I wanted to share with listeners that Season 2 of Shadow Realm, my YA fantasy fiction narrative podcast, is out. Episodes are being released now, so do look for it on any podcast platform that you tune in to listen to your favorite audio. This is The True Fiction Project, and I am your host, Renita Hora. Here at The True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories that make for compelling fiction. So, if you have a great story or know somebody who does... Or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at renita.com forward slash contact. Thank you for listening to The True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. 
For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.